is so good. He is so good. He is so good. So good. Amen. Amen. Thank you, team. Thank you, everybody. I want to turn your attention today to a passage of Scripture. We're looking at uh, doing a little series, I suppose you could call it, on Old Testament characters. And I tell you what, there were some characters amongst them. And uh, last week we just talked about Hannah. Um, what an incredible uh, lady. Uh, but uh, today we want to just talk about another couple characters in the Bible. We'll talk about Saul and Samuel. Um, and um, uh, one of the threads of this whole uh, series is that Samuel is the, in, the, in this whole uh, Old Testament part of it. He's involved in many people's lives. Because Samuel was a uh, priest. In, in, for the nation of Israel, he was more than a priest, he was a prophet as well. And um, he's now having a conversation here or having uh, uh, this, uh, this story unfolds between um, the king of Israel, Saul, and of course Samuel. And I wanted to just draw your attention to 1 Samuel chapter 15 and just read some of these verses, verses 10 to 24. And uh, we'll have it on the screen, but I'll read from the New International Version. Here we go. It says, The word of the Lord came to Samuel. Because God always spoke through the prophet, and then the prophet Samuel would speak to the people, okay? And so, and this is what God said, I regret that I've made Saul king, because he has turned away from me and not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry, and he cried out to the Lord all that night. So Samuel was a bit, this, this maybe anger as in, he was just not maybe angry with God, maybe he was, maybe he was being honest because he thought Saul was the man and now, and something's happened and Samuel's coming in and now crying out to the Lord and saying, oh, don't do this, don't do this, he's the king of Israel. So verse 12, early in the morning, I think Samuel had resolved the fact that you can't, you know, when God speaks truth, you can't kind of say, can you change it, God? <laughs> we can try that. You know, I've, I've read some scriptures and thought, God, I just would appreciate you changing that one. It kind of deals with me a bit too close to the bone. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and he resolved it and went to meet Saul. But he was told Saul was gone to Carmel. Um, there, he was, there he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone on down to Gilgad. And in verse 13, when Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. <laughs> okay. This is what Saul said. I've carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, what then is, the, that is this bleating of sheep in my ears? What is the lowing of cattle that I hear? And Saul answered, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And we totally destroyed the rest. Enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord. That sounds like children sometimes to their parents, doesn't it? But I did do everything you said. <laughs> anyway, Saul said, I went on the mission. The Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agar, their king. The soldiers took the sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgad. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much obeying the Lord? To obey is better than 
sacrifice. Um, and, and sometimes I read that and you've you got to understand what that's really saying. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, so I gave in to them. Um, and that's where we'll finish on verse 24. That'll be good, finishing in. Um, we, we see this story unfold between this conversation between Saul and Samuel. Now, the interesting thing, there's another player in this story, but it, it, we don't really see it, and it's the whole nation of the Amalekites. Um, and the Amalekites, it's interesting, this whole story started with the fact that God wanted to wipe out this whole nation of Amalekites. And, you know, as you think about that, uh, that seems like a terrible thing to do. I mean, you know, the fact that it's, I know it's Old Testament, but it seems like a terrible thing. Wipe out a whole nation. And, and, and the Amalekites, it's interesting because you just need some context around this, why God desired to wipe out this whole nation. Because genocide is never a, a nice thing, is it? It's not a nice word, even. Because when you think of genocide, you, you think women, children, everybody just destroying it and that's what God said and so boy what's happening here because what's some context well you need the whole Bible to get context around why God wanted to wipe out the Amalekites especially the Old Testament part of the Bible um you know when the children of Israel came out of slavery out of Egypt um they've been there 400 years God brought them out with Moses as the leader they came through the Red Sea do you know the very first nation that wanted to destroy go and fight and just attack the Israelites the very first nation in Exodus chapter 17 was the Amalekites. Uh, they hated the Jewish people with a vengeance. Now, you've got to have context of why they hated them. Um, th there was a couple of brothers who were born called Jacob and Esau. Uh, Jacob was finally named Israel because that's where the nation of Israel came from, Jacob. And from Esau, would you believe, came the whole nation of Amalekites. So what did Jacob do to Esau for Esau to be so upset with him? He stole his birthright, but Esau was very quick to give over his birthright at the moment because he sold it for a pot of stew. Um, I know we get hungry, but that hungry to sell your birthright? Because, and we won't go into that today, but that's, that's a whole principle about, around culture there, about who gets it. Because he was the eldest, and yet he lost his inheritance. So Esau, for the rest of his life, gets bitter and twisted about his brother Jacob, who becomes the nation of Israel. And so that twisted and bitter attitude flows right through the generations of, the, of Esau's descendant, um, descendants and, and that whole nation of Amalekites. And so they continually hate the Jews. They hate them with a vengeance. Did you know there was a man called Haman in the story of Esther? There's this little book of Esther. Remember Esther? And she went before the king, and if I perish, I perish that story. There was a guy, a wicked person called Haman, who wanted to, what did he want to do? Kill every Jew on the face of the earth. Do you know where he, he, he is descended from King Agar, the Amalekite? Jewish people. You, you, I don't have to tell you how Jewish people have, have over the decades and centuries, that someone's tried to wipe them out. I don't have to go and do all the stories. In, even in the last century, that's happened. Someone tried to wipe them out. So there's this indictive um, um, attitude that the <laughs> this Amalekites have. Do you know that God tried time and time again, if you look at through our Old Testament, to say to the Amalekites, change from your wicked ways 
change your attitudes towards the Jewish people and the Israelites. And you know what? But it'll take you turning around, changing your ways, changing your attitudes. And you know what? I'm not gonna, I, I won't hurt you. But if you continue like this, I'm going to have to use force against you. Because, you know, the Malachites were ferocious and, and oh, terrible in what they would do to other people. Terrible. And so finally, we see God says to Saul, wipe them out. They're going to continue to come at you. Now, now, look, to be honest, there's a whole message in that that may be for another day. And why? Because, because, but the truth is, the Israelites were a light to the rest of the world. They were to be, that was God's plan, make the Israelites a light to the rest of the world. Um, and yet... Um, and so there was nations after nations, especially the Malachites, that just didn't know it, but they were fulfilling really the enemy's plan, the devil's plan of trying to destroy the light. Now, I grant you, the Israelites and the Jewish people haven't done such a good job of being the light of the world <laughs> sometimes. But anyway, that's another message for another day. So I say all this to give context to what happens next, okay? To give context to now to the reality of this conversation between Saul and Samuel. Because Samuel, through a God... Through Samuel said, so go and wipe them out. And so, um, so use force. Uh, so it's important to understand this. Um, and you know what God said, God said to Israel, go and use force. But here's the truth. That God didn't want the Israelites or, or Saul's army, the Jewish people, to become like the Amalekites. He didn't want them to wipe out, he didn't want to wipe out the Amalekites or fight against the Amalekites like the, and do what the um, uh, Amalekites would do to other nations because you've got to understand the Amalekites used to go and fight a nation but they'd, they'd take all the plunder they'd take the sheep and the cattle and they'd take the servants and make them slaves and they'd take their women and they'd do all types of things and, and, this is, and so the Amalekites when they attacked another nation basically it was to gain wealth God's, now that gives us context of why God said wipe them completely out because God was saying to, Israel, to Saul and the Jewish and the Israel army, don't take any plunder, wipe them completely out. I don't want you to become like other nations where you just kill so you can get. No, completely destroy. This is not, this is, he was saying, come on, uh, this is not an endeavor for you to gain profit. I don't want you to gain one profit, one cent of profit from the destruction of the Amalekites. No, I want you to completely destroy them. I don't want you to become like other nations and just kill because you can get. No, I, if, this, is a, this, is a, this is a mission of justice, not a mission of wealth gathering. Can, can you hope you can see that? This is a mission. This is a, a thing of justice. It's not about you gaining profit from your killing. No, no, don't do what other nations do. Be a light to the nation. Be a light to the world that you're different to the rest of the world. And, you know, I, as I said, the Jewish people haven't done such a good job at that sometimes. So this leads to us of Saul's failure. And it gives context to it because Samuel comes along. And in verse 18 of what we read, he says, um, God wants to send you on a mission. Go and completely destroy the wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them. Wipe them out. And of course, Saul didn't do that. He kept the best of the what? The cattle and the sheep. They kept everything that was valuable. Can you see what's happening here? Saul has become like the, the other nation, the Amalekites. He's kept the sheep and the cattle. 
He's kept the things that he thought. And, and, and as much as you see in Scripture, so, so, oh, well, it was just to bring sacrifice so we could offer sacrifice to God. Folks, don't be deceived by that. I'll show you why. It wasn't the case at all. Saul, there was something going on in Saul that wasn't good. And, is, and, and the very thing that we see in Saul, I recognize in myself sometimes, and I think we've got to be careful we don't carry it out ourselves in what Saul is doing because it's a highly important area of our lives that we need to just see clearly and get right. See, and we'll talk about it, but Saul has failed to carry out God's command. He's led Israel to actually become like other nations. Instead of being a nation that's different, it's a nation that's the same. And that's why God was angry with Saul. But that's not the only reason. We'll go a bit deeper. As a result, God sends Samuel to speak to Saul, Saul about his failure. So what really brought about Saul's failure here? Um, if, you were to, if you were to look at the chapters, so we've read 1 Samuel chapter 15, but if you were to go to chapters 8, 9, and 10, you'd see something very deliberate. You'd see the coronation of Saul as king. You'd see him being chosen and anointed by Samuel. And it says in Scripture that Saul was a humble man. He was very tall and muscular, but he was very humble and shy. And God anointed him king over Israel. He was small in his own eyes. And yet now we see Saul, if you, you'll see through Scripture, that he has, in this passage, he's become self-consumed. He's more interested in his own gain and his wicked wants now. What, what happens that's turned this man from being such a humble, willing to obey God, to now just living his own way and doing his own thing? What was it that turned him from humility to such self-exaltation? See, this whole story is a very sobering story for us all. Uh, because how do such good people go so bad? I mean, how can we, you know, be living okay and then fight, just get distracted or just start to, we, you know, divert off the path where we know we should be living? How does that happen? I want to identify something very clearly because I've identified it in my life as well. See, the reason is found and the reason we do that is that we just slowly, sometimes at the thin edge of the wedge, it just slowly diverts us. The reason is found in the terrible capacity for humanity to be self-deceiving. To be self-deceiving. You see, we see Samuel says, Why didn't you obey the Lord? In verse 19. Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Samuel saw respond, But I did obey the Lord. <laughs> I did obey. I went on the mission. I completely killed the Amalekites. I kept the king. But you know... I completely wiped out the rest. Oh, look, and the soldiers, the soldiers brought the, the best of the sheep and the cattle. Oh, and, and, and they only brought them to make sacrifices to the Lord. Can, can you see Samuel's response? To obey is better than sacrifice, Saul. Um, basically, what Samuel was saying, you did, if you did listen to God, you would have destroyed all of them and not just part of them. But I did, Samuel says. No, you didn't. Why do I hear the sheep bleeding in my ears? You were supposed to wipe them out. Come on, Saul, you're deceiving yourself. You see, why do we go from, and we start to divert, because self-deception has the capacity to do that to us sometimes. So the reason that Saul has failed is self-deception. Saul's saying one thing, but has actually carried out the direct opposite. See, because self-deception, can I say this? is our ability to know something at one level, but to keep ourselves from knowing it at another level because we don't want to know it. 
I'll say it again. Self-deception is our ability to know something at one level, but to not keep it, but keep ourselves from knowing it at another level because we don't want to know it. We just don't want to. Oh, self-deception is not the worst. And also, this is important. Self-deception is not the worst thing we do, but it leads to the worst things that we do. I'll say that again. Self-deception is not the worst thing you and I do, but it's the reason we do the worst things. Can I illustrate? <laughs> Michelle and I sometimes uh, at night time uh, will sit down in my comfortable lounge, too comfortable sometimes for me, uh, but we'll sit down we'll have, and, and Michelle will be talking to me. I need to let her get the 30,000 words out, so as a husband. <laughs> so um, I, I'm sitting, I'm listening, and she'll stop. And she'll say, you're falling asleep. And I say, and as blatantly as possible, no, I'm not. I'm not falling asleep. I'm listening to you. Oh, what did you just, what did I just say? And I try to recount the words that I'm saying to her. And I said, tell you what, how about you just tell me again till I get it. So she starts to talk to me again. And then she stops. I see your eyelids dropping. I say, as blatantly as I am, I'm standing here in all honesty. I say, no, I'm not. I'm listening to you. <laughs> what am I doing? What's happening? I'm engaged in self-deception. <laughs> I know, but I don't know uh, what I'm doing. I know, but I don't know. You know, as parents sometimes, we love our kids, so we should. We care for our kids, so we should. But sometimes we engage in a bit of self-deception about their abilities and about whether they're good or bad. You know, maybe you've been on the, you've, you've seen maybe, maybe you've been that parent, um, uh, or maybe you've seen parents, but they, they, they defend their children to the coach. Why didn't Tommy get in the rep side? Or they, if they don't say it, they're thinking it, and they walk off in a huff and angry, you know, and, and the coach then tries to explain to the parents of Tommy, well, you know, he really hasn't got the ability. And you say, well, he has, he's gifted in playing soccer. He's gifted, he's amazing. And every parent, other parent knows Tommy just hasn't got it. And yet the parent's like, you're joking. Or what about the parent who goes to the teacher and, when the, t and the parent gets the bad report that, you know, little Dora has been, has been bullying other people in the classroom and the parent says, my Dora doesn't do that. How dare you speak to me like that? My Dora is perfect. And every parent knows that little Dora is just a bully. What's happening? <laughs> uh, self-deception now i know i've exaggerated the, the situation but it's really see they know but they don't want to know they know but they don't want to know they really do know because if they were to to confess or to own up to the fact that their, their child wasn't doing so well there's something within them that makes would make them feel like they would not be showing up in a good light and so they feel i've got to defend because defend them means I've got, I'm defending my own self-image. And there's self-deception. That's what Saul was doing. He was defending his own image. But we'll talk about that more. You know, there's an interesting story, a, a, a cruel, a terrible story unfolds on January the 13th, 1982. In America, out of Washington, there was a plane that was flying out of Washington on January the 13th, 1982. It was a terrible morning. It was below zero um, temperatures. There was a number of planes lined up on the, the end of the runway. You know how you got to line up 
and you've got to wait for the planes because it's in busy airports and, 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 and it is like it is very cold and the pilot is it's a, a it's a flight 90 air florida flight 90 and so they're on the runway they're lined up behind other another plane and the co-pilot says in the cockpit while they're waiting it says to the pilot i'm getting some readings here that says that we need to de-ice the wind the wings and just you know to, because the, uh, you know the, the the readings were saying we're pr- proposing that you need to de-ice the wings because they were freezing up because of the temperatures and the pilot looked over the co-pilot and said, I've been flying for decades. Trust me, I know what I'm doing. It's fine. In actual fact, this is what he said. The plane in front of us, with his, his engines running and that hot air flowing back onto our wings, will melt it if there is any. And besides that, those readings are often over a compensation for something because they're just going to make sure. Uh, don't worry about it. Finally, it came for their time to take off. They got about 300 meters in the air. And it nosedived because the ice had um, actually frozen up the, um, the flaps. They crashed into a bridge in Washington. Cars were going across, killing two people in two different cars. And then into the river, killing 74 of the 79 people. The pilot and the co-pilot were included amongst the, those who died. I tell you what, what happened? The pilot knew, but he didn't want to know. Because he was h- holding an image. I know better self-deception you know self-deception it's not the worst thing you do but it's the reason you do the worst things that's what samuel was saying to paul Saul. you're deceiving yourself so here's the terrible part of self-deception after saul realizes that samuel's not buying into this and god certainly isn't buying into this he's not going to be tricked by it he says in verse 24 saul says um in verse 24 um I have sinned. So we think, oh, great, he's repenting. And then he says, I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I acknowledge that. He finally gives in. But then, unfortunately, he makes this statement. He says, I I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. I don't know if you've seen this before, but it's a blame game situation. Saul's saying, yeah, yeah, I've sinned, but it was the men's fault. I didn't give the command to keep the sheep and the cattle. Well, if you didn't give the command, you should have told the men, kill it, everything. But he didn't. He didn't. Because he was too concerned about something else. I've sinned, but he gives an excuse. Do you know, I want to just draw your attention for a moment to another king after Saul. He was King David. And you know what? In, 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 in 1 Samuel, David, or 2 Samuel, David says exactly the same words as Saul. I have sinned. And yet God forgives David and David continues to be king but we see when Saul says it God says no 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 it's it's we're we're finishing up this whole situation here it's not going to happen Saul why is that the case do you know why it's because when David said it David didn't pass the blame or try and think well it's something else or it's just you know we live in a society today that continually says, well, my children are like that because of this. You know, this blah, 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 blah. And, and look, I understand that they can be, and there can be issues and struggles and mental things happen and all that. Or, or, or maybe society, a better example, that's probably not a good example, but other examples. I'm like this because, you know, um, you know, because of this and this and this and this and this, and, and we give some kind of medical term to it. And I under, and I 
please understand, I totally understand ADHD, all those type of things. But I just wonder if sometimes, if we would just focus up to the reality, I, I just blew that. I, I just did the wrong thing. And if we owned up to it, I think we'd find release through mercy and the mercy and the, rep- and the forgiveness that God floods into our soul. But Saul, he has, to, he has to pass the blame onto someone else. David never did that, and God, he was still king for many years. But Saul, so the question has to be asked, and I know I've kind of asked it in different forms, but I'll ask it again. Why did Saul fail? Because we need to go a bit deeper, because Saul couldn't own up to his own disobedience to God. And, and he had to point out the fault of others he, he gave into. And Saul's self-deception is, is binding his understanding, of, sorry, blinding, not binding, blinding his own understanding of the real problem he has. His self-deception is blinding him. It's putting calluses over his heart. And now we, because he says, how can, how can we, you know, um, what's, what blind, what's blinding him to this? What's stopping him? Why is he saying, I really haven't sinned. It was someone else's fault. What would stop a man to do that? And yet he says, I've sinned. He knows, but he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to know. See that? He says, I've sinned, but he passes on to someone else. You know, that's always not a good day. When you say, yeah, I blow on it, but you know, it was really someone else's problem. Or we say, you know what? Yeah, look, I'm sorry I failed. But we then give these reasons and we indirectly kind of point to other people have the problem, not me. Well, I never say it outright. So that's not, we've got to face it, haven't we? So how can we, how can we not fall into this trap of self-deception? Uh, this is a good question, something I want to make sure of myself. See, verse 12, Saul says, um, Saul, in verse 12, what we read, did you notice what it said? Samuel went to meet Saul at Carmel. He wasn't there, Carmel. He'd gone to Gilgad, and you know what he'd done in verse 12? He'd set up a monument to his own what? Honor. There. Is the, is the real key to the issue. Why could Saul not admit his, it, he was self-deceiving himself? Because he'd, he'd already set up this monument, this, this, I'm a king and I've got it together and I'm a pilot and no one's going to tell me how to de-ice my wings and I'm a, I'm a husband and, and you know what, I don't fall asleep on my wife because I'm just a good, I'm a perfect, I would hate to think that I was never a perfect husband to my wife and fall asleep while she's talking to me. I'd hate to think that, you know, I've got to, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a parent, my child is perfect. We don't think they're perfect, but you know, we almost in, 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 intimate that. So, you know, we set, why are we blinded? It's because sometimes we've set up these little monuments within our heart saying, I'm this and I'm that and I'm the perfect this and I'm the perfect that. And we don't say perfect, but we think it sometimes in indirect way. And, you know, that's what Saul was doing. Samuel was saying, you were once small in your own eyes. See, in, see in verse 17, Samuel says, you were small in your own eyes. Did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? Did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? You know, Samuel was saying, you were once small in your own eyes and God made you king. You were once humble and God made you big. God made you big. But now you're trying to make yourself big, Saul. It never works. Don't blow your own trumpet. Let someone else do that and never believe him. <laughs> no, you kid. But you know what I'm saying? You know, th- this, that's why this verse 23 of th- this passage is so significant this morning. See what it says. I won't quote the whole verse, but let me quote this bit. Arrogance is like the evil of idolatry. 
pride, selfishness, self-centeredness, self-deception. It's like the evil of idolatry. What's idolatry? Worshipping anything other than God. That's what Samuel was saying to Saul. Saul, you're worshipping yourself. You've set up a monument in Gilgad. You were small in your own eyes back in 1 Samuel chapter 8, 9 and 10. And now you've been self-consumed and self-deceived. That's why God's saying you're no longer king. So here's the reason why we have trouble admitting self-deception. Why? Why did I have trouble admitting I was falling asleep while Michelle was speaking to me? Because I don't want to think that I'd been a bad husband. I know I've said this. Falling asleep would be saying to me, oh, I'm not a good husband. And, 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 it's, and I've had to fight against that attitude that you just need to be perfect. Perfect, Jane, perfect. And I've had to put that aside and realize, I'll give you the reason later. And we've had to realize that. See, why did the pilot ignore the warning signs of ice on the wings? Because he was proud of his ability. He'd, been an, he'd, he'd flown for years and years and years. He knew better. He'd been in these situations before. But maybe this was just a bit too cold that day than he'd ever experienced before. And, and it was a tragedy. You see, deception isn't the worst thing you'll do. It just leads to the things you do worse. <laughs> the worst things will all be done because of it. For that situation. What about parents who say, I have, this, I have this really good child, and yet there isn't. See, this is what happens. They create the monument of themselves. Whatever is making them bigger in their own eyes. I'm raising a great child. I'm a great pilot. I'm a great husband. If anything comes along to a road that feeling, oh, I'm really good at this, you filter that thought out because you don't want it to erode your monument that you've built of yourself in your own heart. See, because I need to think I'm a good pilot and I need to think I'm a great, uh, great parent and I need to think I'm a great husband, I need to think these big things because they make me feel good about myself. When that was never for you to do that, you need to just feel good about God. And God makes you, gives you balance and understanding about yourself and how great you are in God, not in yourself and your own monument. Build a monument of God in your heart. Magnify the Lord with me. and let What's magnify mean? I mean, make God bigger than anything else in your life. Saul had made him bigger than anything else in his life. So what's the solution? And like, well, maybe I should say this first. I need to, th to rethink this because as long as I try to be big in my own eyes and keep building my own monument, you'll not be able to be honest about those things that are really important. Those things that are really important. And face the fact that, Michelle, I do fall asleep when you talk to me sometimes. It's not because you're boring. It's because, it's because I'm really tired and my lounge is too soft. I need to go and sit. I need to go and sit on a hard chair in the pagola where it's cold <laughs> and, <laughs> and talk to me. And, and, and the reason is I've got to just realize I don't have to live up to this perfect thing all the time. But I just, I just need to surrender my inability and acknowledge it and humbly say, God, I need help. <laughs> I'm not perfect. The pilot just needed to surrender and say to the co-pilot, yeah, yeah, okay. Let's pull out of the line. Let's go and de-ice the wings because 
far too important. We'll spend another 30 minutes, and we'll be another 30 minutes too late, but I'd rather angry passengers than dead ones. Or as a parent say, you know what? <laughs> they didn't make it. I did. You know, Michelle, over the years, Michelle and I have, uh, have you know, our girls have gone netball rep, and, and there's been times where they've not got to the rep side and you know what? We've had to walk away. We do the walk <laughs> of the child with the parent. There's only a handful of us because the rest of them back there at the rep team, we walk away. And there's that temptation to think my daughter's bigger than this. And I've realized it's okay. She doesn't have to get in the rep side. And I've had to swallow my pride and swallow my, <laughs> my heart attitude. And not be self-deceived. And face reality. Amen. <laughs> What's the solution? We'll finish with this. Verse 17 says it all. Verse 17 says it all. Samuel says to Saul, here we go. God made you king. God made you king, not you. There we go. Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the Lord anointed you king? God made you king, Saul. You didn't make you king. God made you king. What am I talking about? You are not you were not bigger, you were not smarter, you were not wiser than anyone else necessarily, but I called you to be king. That's God's grace. Right there. That's God's grace. You, you didn't make yourself, you were humble, you were very tall, you know, you know very tall man, muscular, you were good looking, but the truth is you were humble and shy and God made you king. You didn't make yourself king. See, when we surrender to the understanding of the sovereign grace working in our lives, we have to see it's not who we are. Who we are. It's, not because, it's because of the grace of God. If you're a good husband today, why don't you thank God? Thank you, God. You've given me some principles. If you're a good parent today, why don't you thank God? If you're good at your job, give God thanks. Be the best you can. But always stand, not building this monument to yourself, but building a monument to God. Say, yeah, God's got to get you know, He's the one. Because He created us and made us, and didn't He? And He made you with a gifting. And some, there's some giftings I have not got. There's other giftings I have got. And it's okay not to, to acknowledge the things I haven't got. I don't have to try and prove that. So we've got to be understanding there was a verse in the Bible that Jesus actually said in John 15, verse 5. It's a verse that some of you know. See if you remember it. Jesus says, I'm, I am the, I better get it right. I'm the vine or I'm the tree and you're the branches. And then he goes on to say, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Oh, you know it. Here's the interesting thing. God is not a botanist, or Jesus was not some incredible botanist, even though he probably knew everything, but he wasn't not. But he is stating something very obvious. He's saying, cut a branch off a tree and it dies. He doesn't say that directly, but that's the reality. If you don't remain in me, you're going to die spiritually. So he's saying, come on, if you cut a branch off the tree, it dies. But here's what happens. We think we're the tree. <laughs> we're not the tree. That's called inflated self-absorption and pride. I'm the tree. I'm unmovable. We get caught up with ourselves. We take ourselves and convince ourselves that we're the tree. We tell other people we're the tree. You should see me as a husband. I am incredible. <laughs> now, we don't say that. We can think it sometimes. 
See, we, we, we think we're the tree. And we set up a monument that declares that we're trees. Um, I want to tell you this morning, I'm looking at a bunch of branches, not trees. And I'm, I'm a branch as well. But I tell you what, that's an incredible place to be as a branch. Because when you're alive and thriving, guess what? You get the opportunity to bear the fruit. Everybody loves a branch that bears fruit. People you know, will enjoy that. But it always is when we remain in the tree, in the, bra- in the, in the tree. Now, the interesting thing about producing um, you know, branches is that a tree, sometimes you've got to prune a bit of the branch, and that hurts. That's like cutting off a little bit of just in case. And you know, as we allow God to do that, He cuts off a bit of the stuff that we don't need. Maybe it's a bit of the monuments that I've built to myself. And, and you know why? So that we can be even more productive and more fruitful. That's what He wants in our lives. But we are not the tree. We're the branch that is dependent on the tree. And without Him, we can't do everything. Now, without Him, we can do nothing. But you say, just wait a sec. I do a lot of stuff on my own ability. And I, I, I'm a great worker. I'm a great parent. I'm, that is the grace of God. <laughs> and the sooner you acknowledge that, the better for you because you'll produce better fruit. It's God's hand upon us. But, I, but I, I'm a self-made person. Well, praise God. But you're, <laughs> that's the grace of God if you're blessed. So what's the solution? It's the self-deception. It's a, I mentioned it last Sunday. It's probably the same answer as last Sunday. It's a surrender, isn't it? It's a surrender of those things. It's a coming to reality. It's a being honest about us with ourselves, letting the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts and help us and strengthen us. Can we stand this morning? We're going to close. I just want to pray with you today. I'm sorry, it, 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 no, I'm not sorry, <coughs> sorry, it's a, it's a message that's quite heavy, but it's a message that's life-giving, it's a message that's hope, because you know, I, I speak it because I know that I've diverted as well, and, and I've been self-deceived, I've deceived myself, saying, oh, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, and I get out here and something bad happens, and I, oh, just wait a second, uh, you know, not all bad things happen because you don't do anything wrong. Sometimes bad things happen because you're walking on the wrong path. <laughs> That's a reality. And you've got to come back. Uh, and you know what? I'll learn, keep on learning the lesson to the, my last breath, probably. Stop it, James. Do you know the grace of God sent Jesus to the cross? Do you know we've got to be connected to the tree? Do you know what Jesus hung on? It says in Scripture, when he died, he hung on a tree. Because he is the tree. He is the the death of Christ on a tree, or as it says in Scripture, or a cross as we know it, was his avenue, his doorway for us to not live sinful lives, but to come to him, repent, and ask for forgiveness, and receive him into our lives. Because he died for us. That's the grace and the mercy of God. We receive that. We humble our hearts to have to receive that. And as we humble, we receive it. He accepts us. He says, yeah, you're in. It's because of a heart attitude, not an action that we do. I, I just would ask today, do you need to say yes to Jesus? Yes to Him. Maybe for the very first time, or maybe again today.
I'd love to just pray for you. We, I want to pray a prayer. Or maybe we can close our eyes and I'll just keep mine open. And, and if you this morning know that that's, your, that's what you need to do, could you just quickly put up your hand? I'll see that hand. You can put it down and say, yeah, pray for me. Pray with me for this prayer. Anybody this morning? Jesus Christ. He, he offers us his love this morning. Anybody? Just lift your hand. That's you this morning. Let me pray. Father, today, I just thank you for every person I'm gathering. Every person is right with you. That's brilliant. But Lord, we need you. God, we, we need your strength. Because we, 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 my, own, my own strength, you've given to me. And I need to acknowledge that you've given me your own strength. That's called your grace upon me. And that's my humble acknowledgement of you in my life. And we need you. Father, help us to walk with you and not apart from you. Father, help us to be thankful and and every day, in a way, just be aware that Jesus Christ has given us His best. He died on a tree so that we could be the branch that's plugged into the tree to have always acknowledging Him that with Him we can do a lot more than without you, God. So, Father, we thank you today. I thank you for every precious person in life, and I commit them to you now as we go our ways. Lord, help us not just to walk away, but today. So that was nice, but help us to be open and reflective what your Holy Spirit is speaking to our hearts. I ask that in Jesus' name. And everyone agreed, said, amen. Come on, let's one more time sing this incredible, wonderful song. Great to have you this morning. Bless you.